to the Gay Man's Life Coach Podcast, the podcast for high-achieving gay men who have gone to therapy, want to feel better, and get exactly what they want in life. I'm your host, Harvard Law-trained founder and life coach, Jonathan Herzog. Welcome back. We have the Chris Hill, who is a life coach who runs their own coaching practice. They help LGBTQ plus creatives and artists take their passion, turn it into purpose, and get paid. You can find Chris at the only Chris Hale on Instagram and the only Welcome, Chris. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Of course. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> so, Chris, tell us your story, your journey to becoming the Q Plus life coach for creatives. Um, yeah, so I have a long journey. I think like a lot of people who end up coaching, um, you know, I was always the one who all my girlfriends came to for advice, <laughs> like just, you know, talking everyone through everything, like all the hardships and the, you know, um, just all of that. And I always really enjoyed th- that, actually, like always just really enjoyed being an ear for people. Um, I think that I naturally have um, this ability to hold a really like loving and like, like non-judgmental space. Like there's like zero judgment when you're talking to me. And I think that's something that, that is, that isn't like innate for me. So it, I think just being a life coach in general feels like it was meant to be. Um, my journey though, is I am a performer or was a performer. Um, I started dancing when I was very young danced, acted, sang, did that whole thing. Um, But I started teaching really young. I was like 15 when I started teaching. And again, it's like the helping and the helping educate people and coach them, right? Because teaching people, especially something like dance is a lot of mental work, right? Like getting people to push their limits, especially physically. Um, There's a lot of coaching that needs to go into that, right? Helping people believe in themselves. And so I always really loved that. And I heard about life coaching, I don't know, probably like 12 or so years ago. And I was very interested in it, but it it just didn't seem like it was the right time. And then I did a bunch of other things. So <laughs> um, I became a soul cycle instructor. So, and then I was a real estate agent. So kind of finding my way, right? Still in the helping people, the motivating people, still always teaching dance. Um, but then really it was in like 2019 when I, all of us, like, that was it. Like I had been looking at coaching programs for a while, but 2019, something just like clicked. And I was like, I thought about becoming a therapist. My therapist was like, I don't think you need to be a therapist. Like you have, like you already coach people. You already have so many tools to help people. What if you just did a coaching certification? And I'm like, you know, I've been thinking about that. And so I started looking for coaching certifications again, found Brooke Castillo's podcast, and that was it. I heard the first episode and I was like, this is the person I want to train with. How did you know that was the one? Um, It was her delivery, honestly. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, as a coach and like as a teacher, I'm quite confrontational. I'm quite direct. And it was like her very direct, like lay it all out, 
this is what it is in your face kind of style that I was like, this resonates with me. Like, this is how I talk to people. This is how I, I want to. And, and it seemed like she had brought all, all the tools and the things that I had been reading and trying to apply and brought them together in the model. And it was like this really tangible tool that I felt like this is it. This is the how that I've been looking for. Hmm. So you talk about, Chris, about folks falling unapologetically in love with themselves and their unicornness. So how did you do this on your own journey? Um, I mean, I think I'm still working on it, but, (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, and I'm, I'm sure like a lot of people, um, it, it really comes first from like radical acceptance of myself. And that actually, I think happened in therapy with Mm -hmm. my therapist. Like he was the first person that actually like introduced me to the idea of radical acceptance of just like the world and like what is, you know, and not like resisting reality, but then like turning that onto myself and just being like, I am who I am. Like, there's no, Mm -hmm. like, I don't need to fix anything. Right. Like, I don't need to like, this is, this is it. This is fine. Um, and then eventually like realizing that like radical, like radical acceptance isn't enough. Like the next step is like really going all in and like loving yourself. Like, I don't know. Do you feel like, like that's happened for you and in, in your space? Yes. But I have to say it can sound really amorphous and mushy and like unclear. Mm -hmm. Like how the hell do you go from here to there? Right. Yeah. How do you go from a place of total resistance? And Mm -hmm. I think especially for, you know, the gay men I work with, and I think this is true in the LGBT community generally, being wrong, being shameful, being a problem, the idea of there's something to fix, to radical acceptance, and then to radical self-love. Like, how do you actually traverse that? Um, Yeah, it takes time. Um, It's a journey. It's, it takes a lot of self-reflection and, you know, I think with the work that we do as coaches, like, like scrutinizing our thoughts, you know, and um, actually it's one of my friends, the first person who in my life who became a life coach, um, one of the things she would always say, like when a thought would come up would be like, who told you that? Right. Like, where did that like essentially like, where did that come from? Like, who gave you that thought to think? And so I think it starts there, like all the things that come up about ourselves on the regular, like when we look at ourselves in the world. Right. if we just take like, um, you know, gay men. Right. And like looking at Instagram and like comparing yourself, like I don't have those abs and I don't have right? That jawline. And I don't, right. It's like, okay, but like, why do you want that? Or, you know, like what, why is that what you're aspiring to? Or why are you comparing yourself? What's the comparison about? Cause I don't think comparison's bad. Um, it's, we're like made to compare ourselves. We're made to look around and be like, do I fit in with the group? Do I not fit in with the group? Like some of it's survival, but like, why do I want it? Do I think I'm going to feel better about myself? right? If I have those abs, you know what I mean? And why, why would I feel better about myself? 
is it possible for me to feel good about myself the way that I am and want those abs or is both available and just kind of really being with our brains and questioning everything I think is the first step. And the more that you do that and you start to decide intentionally what you want to believe about yourself is when you really start to fall in love with yourself. I think that to me is part of the magic and power of coaching, which is, it isn't just this kind of black box of like insight into your life and kind of where you come from, but it's literally like, you are not your thoughts. Your thoughts are sentences in your mind. Your thoughts create your feelings. Your thoughts create your feelings. Your thoughts create your feelings. <laughs> and again, it's really easy to like intellectualize this and like read it and sort of gloss over it. But when you actually apply that to your own life and realize every way I'm feeling is created by the choice of what I'm thinking. I mean, it blows the lid off of everything. <laughs> When did you first, like, when did that click for you first? I came across um, Carl Lowenthal's podcast. Um, I love her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, about two years ago. um, And then dove into the rabbit hole of the Life Coach School and Brooke and all the other offshoots from that through her. And I have to say, like, she was such a powerful example of what's possible for me. She also went to Harvard Law. She was this very legal, analytical thinker. And the kind of woo language uh, of, of coaching that maybe was uh, more predominant didn't resonate with her, nor did it with me. And the way you actually break down, this is why I love the model, it's like a math problem, <laughs> right? Yeah. You actually see a causal link between the lines of code in our brain, which I call like this open source compiler. And as you said, all these other developers who we haven't consented to have been coding in the script for what we are believing. And so it was really her podcast and her way of approaching this work that opened my eyes to all of it. Yeah, I I love her work so much. And for me, like not, didn't go to Harvard, um, <laughs> but her, fe- the feminism, the activism, the you know, that part of it was really what spoke to me in her work. Um, And I found her after I found Brooke, but I remember like finding her and being like, yes, this is the piece that was missing for me Um, with, with Brooke's work was just like this component of like activism and feminism, social justice. And because that really for me is, it's really what my work with creatives is about. It's about like uplifting them. So we uplift our communities and we, and to me, that's one of the ways that Mm -hmm. we overthrow the patriarchy, like by like having more money in queer hands Mm -hmm. and um, uplifting each other. I love that line from Kara, uh, which is that social change doesn't just happen. It's created by individuals with human brains and insecurities. And it's so fucking true. (laughs) Yeah. So let's talk about for a moment, um, I would say, and this is a big win uh, generally, but therapy has gone so mainstream and so normalized and uh, so welcome in in all uh, parts of uh, the community. 
Um, and I think coaching is less familiar or less known or less of a travel terrain. So let's dive right into therapy and coaching and all of it. <laughs> let's do it. Um, yeah, ther- and this comes up a lot, right? The conversation of therapy versus coaching. And um, I definitely have my own experience with it. And I'm sure, I don't know, have you done therapy? Yeah. Yeah. So I loved my, I mean, I still see him. I love my therapist. Um, And he was actually probably the first person. He's very CBT based. Like, so he was sort of the first person that actually really challenged my um, like reality, like what I, the story I was telling, you know, and it was like, it was really interesting to me because he was like, this is, you know, I was like, this is what, what he I was at, like about a fight I had. And I was like, this is what he said. And he's like, is that what he said? Mm-hmm. Like, it is what he said. It's what he, how could he mean anything other than what he said? And he's like, but re- like, what do you think he actually meant? And I was like, what are you talking about? Right? Like, how could what he said not be what he meant? And he's like, well, what could, it could have meant anything. What could it have meant? And I was like, I have no idea, <laughs> but I'm open to this conversation. Right? Like it wasn't, it wasn't like, you're wrong. It was like, I was intrigued. Um, and so for me, I think therapy actually and coaching really kind of converged in this place, right? Where like, that was my first experience of having my thoughts challenged. Um, but it was also a tool that I needed because I was in a very dark place. Like I was in a, I had slipped into a really deep depression. I've struggled with depression like my entire life. And um, I was not able to get myself out of it. And I, that was like, I really needed that at the time. And then once I was out of it and I got on medication and I was really stable, because then I was showing up and being like, I feel like I'm just paying you to be my friend. Mm. <laughs> and I'm not, and I'm ready to do stuff in the world. Mm. And that for me is where it, the, 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 the kind of break is where I was like, now I'm stable. Now I'm emotionally stable. The support's amazing. I'm seeing him again because I felt like I could use some extra support. But when I was ready to do stuff in the world, that's where coaching came in and really helped me get specific about goals and what I wanted my life to look like. And, you know, Um, reaching for things that were like beyond me. And I, you know, yes, for me coaching, I mean, therapy came at a time when I maybe wasn't functioning, but I don't like the way that people talk about it in terms of like, well, therapy is for people who are non-functioning and coaching is for people who are functioning because I just don't agree with that. Um, I think that if that's all you have access to, right, regardless of where you're at, then therapy is amazing, right? It doesn't just have to be for people who are where I was, but I think it's also like, what do you need? And I can see a need, like a, the difference in the need for me about like, sometimes I just need someone who's gonna like talk to me and like be there and be listen. And sometimes they need someone who's gonna challenge me and push me and be like, you know, what do you wanna make? Yeah. So it's funny because I was actually going to use that kind of (laughs) framework of therapy bringing you to baseline, to good. Yeah. And coaching bringing you to great, to possibility, to the life of your dreams. Um, I do definitely agree. I think I love them as complementary toolkits and skill sets. 
I think though, I have to be honest with my bias here, of course, which is, I think there's so many amazing things about coaching. One is that I think it's decentralized in its philosophy. And what that means to me is, especially with the self-coaching model, which is like the core of our work, circumstance, the thought, feeling, action, and the result, um, it puts the power in the hands of the client, in the hands of the, indi- of the individual, right? So there's no like secret veil of like the person you're working with. Yeah. You actually are empowered to see the causal relationship between your thinking and the results you create. And then, you know, holy cow, I can literally create any result I want. So that to me is just one attribute of why I think coaching is so valuable uh, for people who want to create, who want to grow, who want to um, evolve past just life as it is. Yeah. And I think sometimes we can like problematize uh, just like having a negative emotion and make it oh, mean no, something right. really bad instead of allowing it, not resisting it and building those skills to actually like build a life that you love, not just are like fine about. Amen. I mean, agreed 100%. Yeah. Love it. (laughs) Amazing. So Chris, you say that to feel better, you turn or one turns to exercise, alcohol, sex, and that's only temporary. I'm I'm quoting you now. Um, And that's because nothing outside of you can change the way you feel inside. You've tried all the self-help, all the therapy out there. You watched all the Oprah, you've hung your affirmations, but yet you still feel the same. I'm sure this resonates with a lot of people. They've done the work, they've read the books, they've done the self-help, they've gone to therapy, they've unpacked the trauma, but they still feel the same way. So like, what hope is there? And like bridge the gap for us there between having done the work, having the insight, but still feeling the same way. Yeah, I think this is where it comes back to the underlying as, like assumption or belief that there's something wrong with us. And I and that I think is, you know, at the core of the queer experience, right? It's like we we've been told for our entire lives like not just even the way that we express ourselves, right? It's not even about that because everyone expresses themselves differently across their identities, but it's about like our, our innate wants and desires we're told are, are wrong, right? So when you start off from a place where like you are just wrong because of who you are, and then you show up to all this work and that's, that's where you're starting and that's the underlying assumption you're working from, then you're constantly trying to solve for that. So you're never going to fix it because you can't fix it. There's nothing to fix. And so when we move into first radical acceptance and then radical self-love and go all in ourselves and accept ourselves and love ourselves entirely, that's when all of this work starts to click. And I think that that's what we can do for our clients, right? Is to help them. I see so many people show up to coaching the way that I did, which was like with this agenda that like I needed to be fixed. Um, I like, I'm going to, this is the tool that's finally going to fix me. And when we start realizing that there's like, that we don't need to do that, 
Um, and actually my, my journey with medication is one of those things. Like what I thought I had, like, there was something wrong with me because I couldn't do it with, I couldn't get myself out of it. I couldn't thought work myself out of the depression that I was in and other people can do it. And Wayne Dyer tells me I should be able to do it. And like, you know, um, Louise Hay is telling me I should be able to heal myself with my thoughts. So why can't I do it? But when I finally accepted, like, this is something I can't actually do. And that was really loving. Then I looked for the support that I needed and I was on medication until I didn't need it anymore. So it's, I think it's like that. I think it's like realizing that like, yeah, we all have flaws, we all have issues, we all have things going on, but if we can just be with ourselves and then decide what tools we wanna use to enhance ourselves to take ourselves to the next level, not because there was anything wrong with us to begin with. Yeah, it's there, there, there's a lot there. I think one of the first things you said was sort of like, if you come in with these um, sort of unquestioned premises, right? It's like, this is a rock, this is a tree, there's something wrong with me. It's like, whoa, whoa, what? Yeah. <laughs> but it's yeah, like, totally. you, can, you can do all the work, you can read all the books, you can do all the self-help, have all the insight you want, but if like, that's the bedrock assumption on which you're running your life, which I dare say is the bedrock assumption for most gay men, for most queer people, then like, yeah, it's going to feel like an uphill climb. Like you're pushing a boulder because you're not questioning the foundation upon which all these other beliefs are built. There's something wrong with me. I've done something wrong. I am a problem. Yeah. And like, what if the exact opposite is true? Yeah. I mean, what if, right. And that's what we get to, that's what we get to do every day. Right. It's so fun to be able to do that work every day to help people question, like, what if that's just not true? What if there's nothing wrong with what you want? What if there's nothing wrong with who you are? Um, and even the, to, to your point earlier, like negative emotion, like I spend a lot of time with my clients really, getting comfortable with negative emotion. You know, it's like these things, because we do, we like demonize negative emotion. Um, and especially like, you know, I think in the, in the queer space is like trying to like eradicate shame. Like shame is like, we all like, we have to get rid of our shame, mm. but shame is just a feeling. It's just mm. an emotion, right? I can feel shame. I don't want to live in shame. Right. I don't want to, I don't want to, and that's, that's, we're taught that we're taught that we should be living in shame, that we should feel shameful for who we are. And so we don't want to live there, but it doesn't mean we can't feel it. We don't want to be afraid of it. Okay. Stop right there and walk us through this, because I think this is really important. I think like, if I'm hearing what you're saying and, and tell me more about this, it's like, you have the one end of the extreme, which is like, you are shame. You are defined by shame. Like stay in the shame. Then you have this like interesting polar opposite, which is like eradicate the shame, rid yourself of it. And you're saying neither of these work. Say more. Yeah, yeah. I think like whenever we're in these like polar opposites, I don't think, think that I don't think that works ever. Um, I think everything is gray, everything's a spectrum, everything there's room for everything. And so um I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna eradicate shame because shame is a, a, a feeling that comes from a thought. And I don't know that I'm ever gonna get rid of a thought 
like I am wrong, um, I can create a better relationship with that thought. I can see it in my brain and say like, I don't think that's true, right? But some of these thoughts um, we learned or we adopted and they were sort of survival, right? It was like, oh, it's really helpful for me to think that like how I feel is wrong or who I am is wrong so that I can change that person so I can fit in with like cis, het, white supremacist patriarchal standards, right? So if I can think that who I am is wrong, maybe I can get a little bit closer to fitting in and that's gonna feel a little bit safer. Okay, that's gonna take some time to undo. I'm not just gonna like, like work on that thought and be like, and it's gone. But what I can do is create a better relationship with that. And I can be like, okay, I see you. I understand why you're there. I understand where you came from. You're not, you were trying to help me. It can also process whatever shame comes up when I have a thought like that and let it go. Okay, tell us exactly what that means. <laughs> for, <laughs> for people who are new to this concept. Yeah. And again, the idea of like, yeah, you're talking about processing your emotion. Like, what are you talking about, Chris? <laughs> yeah. yeah, to me, processing, it sounds so like, it does sound a little like woo and out there. To me, it's really simple. Um, it's just acknowledging the feeling like that it exists, it's already happening in your body, feeling what it feels like. So what does shame feel like to you, right? Like, how do you experience it? Do you experience it like a lump in your throat or like, you know, queasiness? Like I, a lot of my emotions like center around my stomach or like my throat and just being like, okay, that's there, <laughs> right? Like that doesn't feel good. And, and acknowledging where it comes from seeing like it's this thought right now or like I am believing that I'm that I've done something wrong or I am wrong or or people aren't gonna like me and just saying like okay that's an option that that's already existing it already came up my brain offered it to me and now it's here I can feel it I can feel that sensation I can breathe into it and then I can move on with my life and be like, yeah, but I don't have to operate from it. Yeah. Because when you actually figure out that the feeling is just a physical sensation in your body, I mean, the fact that we've never been taught this in any context, in any like part of life is kind of insane. And it's incredibly simple, but it literally makes you invincible because you can do anything if you know that anything I'm going to feel created by a sentence in my mind is gonna be a set of physical sensations that I can describe as a tightness in my chest, a racing in my heart, a sweatiness in my pits, uh, pits a, like, a um, knot in my stomach. We label it, we name the, the one word emotion, we process it, we notice it as it changes, as it moves, and then it's done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And this is the thing, it might come back, but if we've already felt it, we've already been through it, then we don't have to be afraid of it. I was literally coaching someone yesterday that were like, I'm afraid, I'm afraid of this thing happening in the future that I'm going to feel really sad about. And I'm like, but you're sad right now. Like you're actually, you're sad. Like you're, you're having these thoughts that are creating this sadness. You're already feeling it. We're here, we're doing it together. So why are you afraid of it happening in the future? What's, what's going to be different about that sadness? And she was like, 
really nothing. Like it's like if it if this is all it ever is, like it's just gonna be this or the same, you know. Yeah, that's that's like one of my favorite uh, lines, which is, "Congratulations, you felt some sadness and you didn't die." Because I know for me, <laughs> I certainly thought I would die if I felt some sadness. Yeah, I think we all do, which is really crazy because we it happens all the time, right? We go to a movie and we feel these emotions and they don't kill us. Actually, we, some of them we choose, right? Like I'm not a horror person, but people who like horror movies, they go to get scared. They're like actively just intentionally choosing to be scared and there's no problem. And then yet in our lives, we're like, oh, I don't want to be afraid. Like I can't, I can't do this with fear. If fear is going to be involved, I I'm not there for it. So Chris, I'm going to quote you again. (laughs) (laughs) You say, you don't go after your dreams because you are afraid of failure. You strive to keep up the appearance that you have it all together, but you're falling apart inside. You're never satisfied when you look in the mirror. You're too tall, thin, or femme, or ethnic, or mask, or hairy, or smooth. You look to relationships to feel fulfilled, but end up dissatisfied. You base your worth on your achievements and not just that you have intrinsic value. Okay, this sounds like a quandary. <laughs> so what's what's your solution? And by the way, as context, I talk about this all the time, but I, I call these like the like mind fucks of homophobic social conditioning, mm. of the people pleasing, of the external validation, of the perfectionism, and then of, of the fuck it effect that happens when you've resisted all these emotions and you just let it rip. Yeah. That's so brilliant, right? And it is the fuck it effect. It's like, I've tried so hard to maintain all these things and I can't fuck it. Um, Yeah. It is a quandary because I think it, it it takes like being really honest with yourself about what you want, which I think has been, is really hard, right, for us. Um, and why you want it and and doing your best to like balance am i doing this for me or am i doing it for approval and validation and sometimes we can't like there is no like we just have to hold the duality that like it's both um so like for me, for instance, with achievement, like it's like I I don't know necessarily like this is a conversation I actually had with my therapist is about like having fun, like finding play. But like everything I do is like for fun, quote unquote fun is really difficult or it, it's like. I, I love puzzles, but I pick the hardest puzzles where like everything's the same color and like, right. It takes hours and hours to do them. So for me, like separating out, like, no, it doesn't mean that like I'm more worthy than anybody else. Cause I do really hard puzzles, but yes, I also really enjoy the challenge of really hard puzzles and, you know, like finding the balance there because part of me wants to believe that I'm only valuable if I do really hard things and become the best at them and other people see them. Like he asked me like, well, what you need to find something to do or like no one, no one will see it. And I'm like, what's the point of that? 
right? Like my brain immediately was like, and that's it. That's our, like part of our conditioning of like, especially now, like living in the world on display all the time and constantly seeking that validation and thinking that that's going to make us happy. And then like pulling away from that and doing things quietly for ourselves and, and, and finding enjoyment in that. And in that enjoyment, I can still choose to do something that's really fucking hard, but I don't have to display it to the world. It can still just be for me. Yeah. I think there's, there's something really interesting there. I found, um, myself as well of like um we can gaslight ourselves into let's say taking your like hard puzzle example it's like well do I only want to do this because I want to be the it's like no you just enjoy solving hard problems and doing challenging things and I think this is part of the the people pleasing mechanism at work at least I'll just say for myself where it's like um um, having to downplay any desire, let's say, for leadership or accomplishment or ambition or achievement um, because, well, if you want that or if you solve the hard problem, then it must have just been for some ulterior motive or for some sort of validation. And if you're really clean and clear on your own thinking, it's like, wait a second. No, I actually really did just enjoy this and did it because I wanted to. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong either with liking the attention we might get from it. And so I think that's, again, where we have to look at that of like, do I, am I, do I only want the attention because that's the only way I can feel good about myself, right? So do I want the promotion or the accolades or the sex because like, that's how I fuel my positive emotions? Um, well, then we maybe want to look at that and, right, and stop looking to only external things. But that doesn't mean I can't do those things because I enjoy them and also get the reward and say like, yeah, and it's nice if someone else acknowledges it, right? It's nice if someone else desires me. Like, I'm not here to live on this planet alone as a hermit, right? So yeah, it's going to feel nice if, you walk down the street and someone like checks you out. That doesn't mean that like you're only seeking the approval and validation of other people. It just means that you're human and you like enjoyed being desired for a second. But we have to like scrutinize it and check in. And that's why we do this work. And that's why we help our clients, right? Like what, it, what is it that you think you're going to feel if you get that thing? Do you have access to that feeling now without that thing? Can you cultivate that feeling now without that thing? And Wait, then you now can go also get that get thing. That thing. <laughs> yeah, now go get the thing. It's the best news ever. <laughs> it doesn't mean you don't have you, you don't get the thing. Yeah, it means you can have both, both, and you can have the feeling now. It's the best news ever. <laughs> it is the best news ever. And when people lean into that, they're like, "Well, why would I want anything?" I'm like, "Because it's amazing." Because it's amazing to have the feelings that you want to feel fuel getting the things you want. Okay, but Chris, I think this is so important. And like, this is why like we need to shout from the rooftops about coaching for our community. No, truly, because what I've seen is um, problem addiction, 
And again, it's the insidious internalized uh, homophobic social conditioning is it, in the way I see it, which is like, you tell yourself you're achieving to solve the problem, the problem being you. And then you keep doing this to yourself. You keep choosing to do it because you're believing you have all these problems, you have all these addictions that need to be solved. But this entire, again, this entire idea, this entire house of cards is like toppled over when you're like, it is both that there's nothing wrong with me and I'm not a problem. And I get to go do challenging, difficult, amazing things. Like that is so important and not established (laughs) widely. It's definitely not established widely. And I love the problem addiction thing, because I think this is something, especially for people who are high achievers. um, I sort of picked up this thought along the way that if you're comfortable, you're not growing. But like the subtext to that is that like, but I, so I should also be growing. I should be growing all the time, right? There should be no end to growth. It should be perpetual, which means I have to constantly be feeling uncomfortable, which means I have to constantly perpetuate these problems. So it becomes this cycle of like, like you said, problem addiction, because if I'm working hard at something and everything's a problem and I'm a problem, then it means that I'm growing and it's, you know, that's the most honorable thing that we can be doing is pushing ourselves to grow all the time. Right. Because part of this, I think, is the social currency also and the incentives around having problems. Totally. Because you, you actually gain status now by having more problems and you can partake in that and then think, oh, well, I don't actually buy into that, but it degrades over time the integrity you have with yourself and you really start to think and define and view your own life as a set of problems so this to me is like such a fundamental switch between do you see everything as a problem or not (laughs) and i think so many people do and that's one of my incentives are to do that yeah and it's so fun to just like hold space for people and just be like, none of this is a problem. Like none of what you're bringing to me is a problem. Your problems aren't problems. (laughs) Your emotions aren't problems. You know, like really being able to be with people and say like, this is fine. Let's just look at it. Let's just work through it. Let's just be with it. Nothing's gone wrong. And like that to me is like the gift of coaching is having someone be there with you in that space and be like, none of this is an issue. And like, what are we going to do? What do you want to do? You can choose to go after it. And you can go after a hundredfold. And you'll accomplish and achieve a thousand times more you ever imagined possible because right now that achievement has been fueled by the hustle, by the grind, by the outrunning of your own Mm -hmm. lack of worth. Yeah. And that is it. We're trying to outrun our own lack of worth, but it's like, if we just start from that initial, I'm worthy just as I am. I am not a problem. And what I want is not only not a problem, it's, it's, it's what fuels us. Like desire is what fuels us. So really leaning into what we want, I think is like the next step and celebrating what we want 
Um, and I think that's why like pride is such an amazing thing. Like it being, we're in the you know midst of pride month. It's like, to me, I think it's really a celebration of desire, right? Of like, not just like, you know, sexual desire, but like just desire of like to be like being in the world and being with people and being creative and um, like celebrating that. What that does bring up for me though, as well, is a really important distinction between the false pleasure, the synthetic desire, and the true pleasure, the true joy, the lasting, sustainable joy. And I think another concept that is also coupled with that is the emotional childhood and emotional adulthood and taking responsibility for the way you're feeling and the way you're showing up, not from a place of blame, like it's your fault. It's no one's fault. You're, you're both not a victim and not at fault. And you also are the creator of the way you feel. And I think sitting with that, understanding that and being able to discern and actually hone the skill of like, is this a false immediate gratification pleasure or is this a true pleasure that I desire for myself for the reasons I love? Yeah. I think it's a skill we've never been taught and a skill that can change your life. Yeah, the, the, the wanting what you want and liking your reason, I think is just it's life-changing for me. Like just being like, okay, I want this. And why do I want it? And really doing the work to find out why I want it. And then, you know, finding the reason that resonates with me. That's like, yes, I love this reason for wanting this thing. Chris, anything else you want to bring? Any final thoughts, questions, conclusions, things you want to share? in our final moments together here today. I mean, I feel like we went all over the place and it was amazing. This is <laughs> such a, <laughs> we touched on so much. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just like, what my hope is for, for our communities is just, is that we really get coaching into our communities. I, you know, it's why my podcast is called You Need a Coach, Bitch, because <laughs> <laughs> it's Which just real, it's real direct. Like you need a coach, right? Like we're not, we're not gonna like, this isn't fluffy. This isn't, we, you need it. It's, it's like essential. If you really wanna like dive in on yourself and then, explode your life in the best possible way like you need a coach let's do it let's do it chris hale it's been an absolute pleasure where can folks find you again if they want to yes, uh, learn more you can find me yeah on instagram at the only chris hale and my website is the only all right the only this was chris hale it was an absolute pleasure thank you so much thank you hey if you enjoyed listening to this podcast you have to check out the gay man's life coach at jonathanherzogcoach.com it is the community of gay men transforming their lives to feel better and get exactly what they want join us at jonathanherzogcoach.com and book a one-on-one consult today And if you have one minute, it would be so awesome if you could leave a review on this podcast so we can help spread the word and help more gay men. See you soon.